Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta Aaron Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Ketubot, daf mem, page 40. So we have three Mishnahs here, and we'll just go back and forth between them. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to actually finish up this parak. So it really seems like sort of there's a bunch of Mishnahs here that want to finish up a lot of this topic about fines and what happens in this case of uh, rape or sed- or a woman who gets seduced. So an orphan who was betrothed, meaning she had uh, a recent Kedushin and then was divorced, so she didn't get through the second stage of marriage, which was Nisuin. Um, so if she were to be raped, that person is obligated to pay the fine uh, because she uh, was a virgin because she had only gotten through the points of a Um, But if she is seduced, uh, then they are exempt from payment. And the reason for this is that because she's an orphan or either because she was had a Rusin and then was uh, divorced, she's actually considered an independent. And therefore, it's considered like in a way that if uh, she, uh, under, you know, was seduced, sort of she was. She did this, uh, you know, she consented to this, basically. And so it's not like something that would be owed her father. Yeah. Had a Rusin, then she sort of, you know, her father was severed. Kamara here is not particularly long. It really just sort of wants to go through whose opinion is this according to um, and uh, work through uh, that essentially... Um, this is the, uh, it, it's the opinion of, um, of, uh, Rabbi Elazar, uh, who holds like, uh, who holds like his Rebbe, Rabbi Akiva, and, uh, they give a source for how he gets to this. Um, I just want to point out one little piece here that's at the end here where it reads, right? Halacha Rabbi, right? Um, Amar Rav, Rav says Halacha Rabbi Elazar, uh, that the Halacha is like, Rabbi Elazar, and then the Gemara goes on to say, Kari Rav to Rabbi Elazar, Tuvana Dechakime, right? That uh, Rav said about him that he is sort of the the happiest of uh, uh, of the Chachamim, and presumably uh, it's uh, it's because uh, he's um, uh, you know because the the halacha goes like him. Now, uh, who is he exactly? So. This we see a couple of Rabbi Elazar's. Um, so if you look at Rashi, Rashi says that this is actually Rabbi Elazar ben Shamua, um, who is a fourth generation Tana, um, and uh, he's a student of Rabbi Akiva, uh, but he actually didn't get smicha from Rabbi Akiva because of the Hadrianic persecution, um, and he actually gets smicha from Rabbi Yehuda ben Baba, which is a story that we'll learn at another time. That Rabbi Yehuda ben Baba at this time sort of took himself out of the city. And he gave smicha to, uh, to five students with Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yeshua ben Chalapta, Rabbi Huda bar Eli, and Rabbi Shimon uh, bar Yochai. Uh, it was between Usha and uh, Shifa Ram, which were these two important Tanaitic uh, cities. So just know that this is who uh, we're talking about here. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's a little bit of an interesting uh, it's an interesting comment here. I don't totally understand what's going on, why they say, why, basically, I don't understand why it's necessarily put here. Um, uh, you know, why it couldn't be in another Gemara, but it's a comment that, that, that Rav has here. So I, I think that maybe the, the 
fact, the comment of Rav here, I can't tell you why it's here, but I think it maybe lines up with the fact that at the very first line of this Gemara, it says that Rabbi Elzer's opinion is in, it lines up with Rabbi Akiva's opinion, right? Which, here, I'll read. It says, Rabbi Elzer, Bishitat Rabbi Akiva Rabbo Amara, which I, I think usually we just get their opinions. We don't say, oh, and it lines up with Rabbi Akiva, his Rabbi. Like, of course, not of course, but it's not unusual that a, stu- a Talmud's opinion would line up with his Rebbe's, right? So I wonder if that isn't part of it, that, that that's something in the why he would be, you know, that it would be happy for him. Um, yeah, I, I, I that's think that's possible. It. I think the other thing is, is that, you know, the, the I translated it as like, he's happiest of the Chachamim. Some people would translate that in English as he's, he was like the most excellent, like he was the best of the Chachamim. It's interesting that it's Rav who makes this comment about him because remember, Rav Elizabeth ben Shamua is a Tana and Rav is an Amor, but he's that first generation Amor who bridges the gap between Tanaim and Amoraim. So I think it also tells us something that he had an influence on Amoraim in a very direct way as well, which I think is, you know, from a uh, historical perspective is also interesting. All right. I think so. In well, my, and wait, wait, one more second. In, in, yeah. in my historical notes, I have a comment that he lived to be 105, um, or at least that there's one tradition that he lived to be 105, which might actually have be part of why he might have had such impact on the next, you know, the subsequent generations. Um, and also we know from other sources that he was one of the Asar Haruge Malchut, the 10 martyrs who are killed, whose descriptions are listed there's a Kina and oh, tradition I forgot of, to mention that. Thank you. Yes, he is and, one of the and Ezra, also Sarah Thank you. And and Ela Eskra and Yom Kippur. So I so this idea, I mean, it gets he has this like great enjoyment of being a Tana and learning and everything like that. And then, you know, always yes, it's such a terrible story. Um of how how they at 105 you would think he could just die of old age, but no. Um okay, I'm gonna move on to uh the next Mishnah. I'm gonna go on to the next Mishnah. The next Mishnah I think is very valuable. It gives us some definitions. Um it starts here with Azehu Boshet. What is Boshet? Now Boshet we can understand we can translate it to mean humiliation or embarrassment. It's one of the several different um accompanying components that can happen when one person does harm to another person. And so like the, the sweeping um, umbrella for that is we'll call it damages, right? But damages can be broken down into actual physical harm. That's usually called Nezek, right? And then there's other elements like, you know, uh, pain and suffering and loss of the ability to work and things like that. So this is one of those, this bullshit is, one of the elements where one, when one person harms another, that can come under the nezik category, meaning damages, but it's a very specific kind of of damage. Now, the Mishnah goes on to say that everything is according to the one who does the humiliating and the person who is humiliated. And there's a few different ways that we can understand this. Um, my intuitive sense is that you know not everybody is humiliated in the same way, except for that the Gemara is the Mishnah and also the Gemara is going to establish certain kinds of um, shame, right? That or humiliation that are considered you know objectively, objectively boshet. That that's that's where boshet kicks in. But then the the amount 
of how much one is going to pay is going to depend on exactly what's go you know who the people are so for example because we've been talking about rape right throughout so um you know how much humiliation there is for a person to be raped um is going to depend on who they are i i kind of wish the the mission did not take that approach right like it doesn't have to be we would think that there's just an objective like oh my goodness you were raped it's the same amount of of shame but I think the the idea is that, I don't know, somebody who's in high society, the princess of the realm, for example, being raped is a much more shocking, devastating kind of scenario than the, you know, the poor tavern girl type of situation. I'm not saying this is good. I'm saying that there's a recognition that uh, a person's humiliation is going to be at a different level. Um, which is not necessarily the case for, for example, just straight up damages, right? If there's a certain amount of harm to the body, then that might actually be the same. And it wouldn't depend on a person's setting or, or identity. Um, okay. Then the Mishnah goes on. Pagam, Pagam, Ro'in Otak, Elohi, Shifcha, Nimkeret, Bashuk. The question is, how do you assess the Pagam? Pagam is what? Blemish or. I've seen it translated as how how much a person is considered to be degraded, right? How are you going to evaluate that, right? I've given, I've just given this example of, you know, the difference between the princess in the palace versus the tavern girl. And that's still, that's just me making up an example, right? The Mishnah needs a real rule of thumb. So the rule of thumb is you evaluate by looking at this woman as if she were um, a shifcha, a maidservant who is going to be, Sold a slave, sold in the sh- in the marketplace. Right? How how much how how beautiful was she? How much had she been worth beforehand? And now, the, after the rape, or right after the this time of boshe, right? This is how do we determine um, how much she should be worth now? And that's exactly it, right? Meaning. If she would, if she would sell for X amount, and now she will sell for X, le- you know, minus that much less, um, then that's how you determine the amount of boshe. That that's the amount of the fine. Kanasha adam, and then the Mishnah makes the point that you know, as much as you're going to assess the boshe according to the individual people, the fine itself is going to be equal for whoever is needs to get paid any payment and this is a general rule and it's a good one any payment that has a fixed sub in the Torah is going to be equal for all people no matter who you are no matter if you're the princess in the palace or the tavern girl and so the the fact that there's this you know this is a matter of the physical the the point is that no matter what the physical harm is, there is some element of the payment that might be due such a person, the the person who is harmed, that is going to be equivalent. Now, of course, the tricky part here, and it's going to be, you know, it gets discussed in the Gemara, and I guess in the commentaries at great length, is exactly how this becomes a little bit convoluted. Because on the one hand, we're saying that it depends on the individual, and on the other hand, we're saying it's that it's equivalent or a fixed sum for all people, well, that 
sounds on its nature to be contradictory. And indeed, there's a lot to discuss there. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a very interesting passage. First of all, that it appears first at Ketubah. We haven't seen anywhere else um, it, because it will become much more relevant when we get to Nazikin. But, you know, just the whole way, like, how do you measure these things or how are they quantified? Um, again, I think it shows it's not a pleasant passage to read, but it shows that like halacha pertains to every single part of our life. And even to the point that it's going to try to take sort of uh, the emotional experience of or, or or quantify or give value to. And I don't mean value like as something good. I mean, value is like a monetary value to a terrible experience and say that that has a, you know, a, a place in halacha that we quantify it and we say that somebody actually owes somebody money over it. Like, it's not just an emotion that you feel. It has a number actually attached to it. And the number that's attached to it actually is specified in the Gemara, meaning the Mishnah just says it's a, say, the, uh, a flat rate for everybody. And the Gemara comes and says, and I'm not going to read this inside, but it says it's 50 sela, meaning that this kind of humiliation tax, whatever you want to call it, that the fee is going to be 50 sella. Now, what that means is, and literally it gives the example of, you know, the daughter of the kings versus the commoners. And the question then is, you know, how do you quantify any kind of humiliation? And the idea here, I think, is that this is not a paltry sum, meaning it's significant and it's a recognition that it's it never is going to do justice, right? But to, to but to have no financial penalty is even less justice. Right, exactly. Right. I don't think it's saying that it's like you, it 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 makes it a clean slate, but but it allows for something to take place that gives some sort of justice. Okay. Right. And, and then sorry. I just want to say one more, sorry, one more thing. And then the government does go on to discuss and this should have been, maybe I should have said this earlier, there are other payments that are made as well, right? Meaning as much as there's this flat sum from the Torah, the 50 Sela, there's also a recognition that depending on the circumstances, there could be other, like, the pay, this is not a flat rate and then she's, and then that's it. That's all the guy owes her, right? It's that this is part of the payment of the, the damages in total. This is the humiliation part of the damages. All right. I'm going to move on to the next mission, the last mission of this tab. So here they're talking about the case. We know that a father was allowed to sell his minor daughter as a, a shivcha, as a Hebrew maid servant. Uh, and again, this was an economic thing that was set up. Obviously, doesn't sound like a thing that anybody would do in modern days. But any time where there is a sale, right, where a father can sell his minor daughter, then there's no fine if she is raped. Because in other words, if he has the ability to sell her, then he sort of loses the right to that knas. And any place where there's a fine, right, then that is not a, a person who could be sold into slavery. A minor can have, right, so it's it's going on to explain, a minor can have sale by her father, but she doesn't, she does not get the fine if she is raped. Now, Ra, right, which is a young woman, Yeshla knas be'en la mecher. 
right? She would get the fine, but she's not subject to the sale to be sold. Habogaret, that's a grown woman, she doesn't get uh, none of those um, would would happen to her. So, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit of an odd, uh, let's be honest, a little bit of an odd Mishnah. The Gemara then goes on here uh, to basically try to explain this Mishnah, uh, you know, really wanting to understand who is this Mishnah like, right? Uh, and it says that it's basically like Rabbi Meir, the Chachamim say, there can be a fine for somebody who is also sold. A little bit where they quote a bracelet with Rabbi Mayer, uh, and Rafisa gives an explanation for how Rabbi Mayer actually understands this, how he gets to this, and Rabbi Papa uh, berates Rabbi Hanan uh, is going to come and explain the Chachamim's point of view. Um, but uh, so that's really what the Gemara sort of does uh, uh, with with this Mishnah. Um, you know, again, I think these were things that were set up in halakha for economic reasons, they do not make sense to us at all today. And I firmly believe these were not, these would not be halachot that would be kept today in like, let's say a full Jewish halachic society. It's not that they wouldn't be kept. I think we just wouldn't use them. Um, Interesting. I, I wonder if people, I mean, it would be a fight, right? We have to use them. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know that you have to. I think it's no, no. I mean that it. no. That what I mean is somebody's going to say we would never use this nowadays. That makes the most sense, right? And somebody else would come along and say, if we were really going to have a halachic society, we would implement every little last detail. You know, right? I, I, so I, I, I struggle with that. Like when you read these kinds of mishnahs, and again, it, it's not rabbinic halacha. I mean, it's based on the Torah. You know, what would it look like in a more modern society or in today's society? if we were to say we're fully committed to keeping all the laws of the Torah, would these be sort of the type of laws where it'd say like, yes, it existed. It was for, this is where the Torah sort of given for a particular generation. But I fully understand why that's also a very dangerous statement to make as well. Right. It gets complicated. I think that one of the important elements here is that it, meaning we see, we've been discussing this for now all this time, that there are things in the Gemara that do not are not manifest in the way halacha is presented today. Not because we decided we don't like it, but because that's the way halacha is carried down through the generations. Um, and it isn't always a matter of, I don't know, discomfort weighing in. Like it's, it's I don't know, even Chazal acknowledge that there's a difference between a different generation within Chazal to them, right? Like, I don't know, it's a big, big topic. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Time with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.